We've got 12 more days till the best day of the year. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. I am David Hansen, joined today by Tyler Riggs. Hello, hello. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. It is a happy Monday. It is I was a out, day. I was out last week. I'm refreshed, exactly. rejuvenated. Do I look tan? Uh, yes, you got some color. How about uh, that? Okay. <laughs> more, more so than I was before. Matt is out today. Now mm-hmm. we're switching places. He's running the Boston Marathon. Yeah. He ran it last year. He vowed to go back after everything that happened there. So wishing him luck Absolutely. out there in Boston. So speaking of physical feats, what's your greatest physical feat that you've ever done in your life? Oh, I got to say it's uh, getting out of bed at about 8.15 this morning. Yeah, I think that, that was, was I'm really proud of myself. Yeah, it's a great start to the day. and uh, It's a big day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Good things. All right, well, I alluded to it in the intro. 12 days until the biggest day of the year mm-hmm. for capitalists. We got the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting in 12 days, May 3rd in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. My birthday, by the way. Really? Yeah, yeah. There, all right, so it is the it is a big day, day of the year yeah, for everybody. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> A couple of us from The Fool will be going. Myself, mm-hmm. Matt Kopenheffer, Brendan Matthews, who will be on the show tomorrow. He's going out there with us. Mike Olson, mm-hmm. uh, who's been on the show before. Scott Phillips is from Australia, our Australian okay. service. Coming all the way over for the Alrighty. meeting. So we'll all be there. We're doing a live chat. We will have some video for our premium members, so our Stock Advisor members, uh, Inside Value members. They'll all get okay. the, the premium video out there. Um, Markel is holding a brunch on Sunday. Very nice. So you got the meeting on Saturday with Berkshire mm-hmm. Hathaway, the brunch with Markel on Sunday. We'll have Tom Gaynor there, Alan Kirshner. Uh, they'll be doing a brunch. You can ask some Q&A. So we'll be at that as well. So it's going to be a very busy week. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Sounds like fun, good. though. Uh, so in honor of the 12 days, we are running a 12 Days of Berkshire article mm-hmm. series on Fool.com. Matt actually kicked it off with an article today that was 12 Reasons Why Warren Buffett is a Great Investor and How You Can Learn From Him. So we got these 12 articles coming up. Mm-hmm. Which one are you most looking forward to? So I think the one I'm looking forward to is four key events in Buffett's investing life. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one where I think it's important because a lot of when we look at Warren Buffett, we think we can just follow exactly what he did and find the exact same success. And that's just not the case. I mean, right. a lot of it is basically there were some things, there were some opportunities that were around when you know he was a younger investor. There was a different sort of investing environment all sorts of these perfect storm that allowed him to be so successful. Right. So I think what we need to realize as investors is that we can't follow that exact path. Instead, let's take what he's learned, what he's you know, able to provide us in wisdom or principles, learn how to apply those into our own lives, and then be ready, look out for those opportunities that they're going to be different than what uh, Warren Buffett had, but they're out there. It's just being ready for them when the time comes. So I think that's the big thing for me is that these events are important. They're, they might not happen again mm-hmm. um, in our investing careers, but it's something where we can say, what was he doing at that time that made him fully ready to take advantage of that opportunity? Right. It's, I mean, what's the old quote about luck? It's preparation mm-hmm. meets opportunity or, exactly. so, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't think Buffett would question that. Mm-hmm. He's probably had some luck involved. And sure. Anytime you're investing, there's always some luck involved. Mm-hmm. And it gets back to... Uh, stuff that Michael Mobison talks about, who we've had him on the show before with Matt, and having a consistent process down because you can't take luck completely out of the equation, mm-hmm. but you can try to minimize its impact on your outcome by having a really consistent process. Sure. And you look at Buffett, that's what he's had. He's had a consistent mm-hmm. process. No so matter what happens, what outcomes arise, 
he's ready and he can stick to his his knit there and, and do well with sure. it. Sure. Yeah, I think we. Yeah, it, at the end of the day, he's not just a lucky guy that stumbled upon billions and millions of dollars. He's a incredibly intelligent uh, investor who has found opportunities where. You know, the whole, you know, the adage, heads I win, tails I don't lose much. Right. Basically sort of these lopsided, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call them bets, but sort of these lopsided odds where the downside is much smaller than the actual upside there. Right. So that article will be running four days prior mm-hmm. to the event, which would be... I don't know. The 28, April 28th. I'm dependent upon my phone. So. All of these will be <laughs> up on fool.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure they will get, they'll be on the, the main headline there on fool.com as we Absolutely. count down the days here. And we'll, we'll be sure to tweet all these out as well. So if anyone's mm-hmm. interested in that one specifically, uh, we will tweet that out on the day it comes out. So how about you? The one I'm looking forward to is Berkshire Hathaway's Five Best Businesses. Okay. So we talk about Ber- or Warren Buffett all the time. Mm-hmm. We talk about the stocks that he holds. We're about to talk even more about yeah. that in a minute. <laughs> uh, but the actual business of Berkshire Hathaway is incredibly interesting, incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. And we have an article coming out from Jordan Wathen, uh, one of my favorite Fool contributors. He's looking at the five best businesses at Berkshire Hathaway. Um, and I, I would guess that Jordan's going to attack this from the perspective of businesses that he would like to see spun off so sure. he could own them. Sure, sure. Uh, when we had Jordan on the show uh, via, via telephone a couple weeks ago, He was saying there are some businesses at Berkshire Hathaway that I would just love to own, Mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily want to own all of Berkshire Hathaway there. So if I had to guess, I would guess the main two that he he really wants uh, to see spun off and he thinks are really great businesses, Geico. Sure, absolutely. And Seize Candy. I know Jordan is a huge fan of Seize Candy, not just the product. I'm sure he's a fan of that. (laughs) Uh, He he called out a a note in something he tweeted recently. It was that Berkshire bought Seize Candy for $25 million in 1972. Mm-hmm. So $25 million okay. was the price they paid. Today, it earns $80 million a year. <laughs> Jeez. So almost... Again, with that heads I, yeah, heads I win, tails I don't lose much, right there. Exactly. That's a good so, so very interesting there. Mm-hmm. And Seize Candy has been able to raise prices 41 years in a row. Wow. So looking at a business that has pretty low CapEx, mm-hmm. ability to raise prices, some very good business there. That's not the only one within Berkshire. So it'll be very interesting to see what Jordan would like to see perhaps spun off and also is is really good in there. Uh, I also saw recently an article, this is somewhat related, Mm -hmm. uh, about Yahoo's core business. Did you see this article how people were arguing that if you do the math, you can make the argument that Yahoo's core business is not worth anything? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the valuation today, you have the stake in Alibaba, you have uh, Japan's the the Japanese operations of Yahoo, Mm -hmm. and then you have this core business here. And if you add the pieces together, the math shows that Yahoo's core business is really worth nothing. Yeah, negative. Yeah. Uh, so it, it really kind of highlighted that there can be conglomerate discounts to these sure. businesses. So a Seize Candy, a Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, a Fruit of the Loom, they can be under a bigger umbrella, and by themselves, they could potentially be worth more. Sure, absolutely. I think it's just a matter of you know you see. A big consolidation trends happen over time, then things just start splitting off, and it's sort of just a maybe a, a cyclical thing that you see kind of over the years. Yeah, and Buffett's never really been one to spin off businesses, mm-hmm. but it, maybe that's a not forever thing. Maybe yeah. in five years, it starts to make sense to spin mm-hmm. off some businesses, and they can get higher multiples, and Berkshire Hathaway can still be a shareholder in the company. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if that ever changes. I don't, I don't know if it will. Well, and I think the, the interesting thing is with that title of that article, Berkshire Hathaway's Five Best Businesses, I think that's important to start speaking of it as a company now because 
you know, Buffett is sort of stepping away a little bit, by, uh, you know, bit by bit on the investment decisions. So it is more of a company making these decisions um, than just Buffett himself. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do with those businesses. Do they spin them off? Are they still, you know, uh, profitable enough and they're able to allocate all the capital properly to make them still strong? Or is it something where we might see a little bit of friction in the future? Yeah, definitely. And Buffett said that he doesn't like to mess with the operating businesses. Mm-hmm. He has great leaders doing that. Yeah. And then you look at the equity portfolio, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember when the letter came out this year, mm-hmm. I, I kind of looked at how much of Buffett's portfolio is he actually, of the stock portfolio, is he actually managing? Mm-hmm. So you have the big four holdings there, Wells Fargo, American yeah. Express, IBM. Those aren't really going to do much. He's going to hold on to them. He's probably never sure. going to sell shares in those. Never. I mean, quote, in never. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't know. Uh, Asterisk. So we've got me, yeah. those, the big four up there, and then we have Ted and Todd, mm-hmm. the other portfolio managers, I think each managing over $7 billion yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in equity there. So that's $14 billion of the equity portfolio there. So when you look at what Buffett's actually playing with from a stock perspective, I think it came out to something like 8% mm-hmm. of book value there. So not... Yeah huge there. So this is really becoming an operating story rather than Buffett hitting home runs with the Yeah, I, I think people think that passing the torch is going to be some big sudden change, you know, to Todd and Ted. But it's mm-hmm. like, it's actually sort of been a subtle move, a subtle transition. And right. I think, you know, that's why it's sort of quietly changing hands. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Speaking of the stocks, moving on to our next segment. Oh, and just one quick thing. Oh, I think Eric Volkman, I think, is doing the four key events oh, in Buffett's yeah, life. Just wanted to throw out there. Yeah, Jordan uh, for the, uh, the five best businesses and Eric for the, the uh, four key events. So. Awesome. All right, moving on to the next segment. Looking at those stocks I mentioned, mm-hmm. we're about to talk a little bit more. Matt and I have done some rankings, some rankings in terms of what are the five best stock holdings in our opinion. Sure. But we wanted to get your input. What is one stock in the Berkshire portfolio of, I don't even know how many stocks they have now, Mm -hmm. 50 or so, 40. Yeah, something like that. That is on your radar that you're interested in. So the one I found that I think is fairly interesting is it's a small position. It's uh, Verisk Analytics, Mm -hmm. uh, ticker VRSK. Um, I think Berkshire has maybe a less than a 1% stake in the company. Um, What they do is basically they provide analytical tools and software for uh, the insurance industry, uh, credit card services and health uh, plan providers. Mm-hmm. So it's a very sort of a, you don't really think of it as a Berkshire company. It's not a toll booth operator. It's yeah. not a, a railroad uh, company. It's it's a analytical software company. Right. And it's really like, when I first saw them, like his whole reluctance around technology was sort of, it, it, it's a little bit of a changed uh, uh, environment with this. But they've held this uh, since its IPO in 2009. Um, again, it's a small position, but I think it's an area that really not a lot of people are looking at, but it has the potential to be pretty huge. Mm-hmm. So what the, this company does, it provides a software to industries where Buffett knows, where right. it's familiar with credit card payments uh, and, insurance. and insurance predominantly. Those are the two. Um, and this company's got uh, all the top 100 property and casualty insurers in the U.S. Um, are customers. Uh, 24 of the 25 top credit card issuers in the U.S. and U.K. are customers. And then nine of the top 10 uh, health plan providers in the U.S. are customers as well. So I think this is something where, yes, it might sound like it's a low barrier to entry business, just software. Right. Um, but I think what they're doing is they're acquiring all sorts of brands, all sorts of intellectual property, creating these tools, getting them into these insurance providers or credit card providers, 
and creating that lasting relationship yeah. and building up a brand. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, that's where I think Berkshire really saw potential in the stock is that they're building a brand here. And if you can do that and you can create lasting relationships, it's going to be very hard for an insurer to just one day switch all their systems exactly. over to something else. So Interesting. Yeah. What is, what's kind of their means of growing? I know they're a subscription-based mm-hmm. kind of model there. Are they... Yeah. Are they getting most of their growth through that M&A, or is the actual kind of core business still growing as well? So I think uh, last year, I think it was a uh, 13% uh, growth in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about 8% of that was organic, okay. um, and then the rest of it was mergers and acquisitions. Um, I think it's sort of they're trying to do a balance there. Um, it's something where what they their sort of philosophy is build a excellent product and then just per, uh, scale it out more and more to more customers. So I think that's something where it's, not capital intensive. Um, again, it can scale, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth there. I don't think it's, you know, solely driven just by acquiring other com- companies. Mm-hmm. I think it's building those great products, getting their name out there, getting those relationships, and then being able to sort of increase those that subscription revenues right. over time. Just you know, uh, you know, based on just normal price increases. Nice. And the ticker is VRSK. VRSK. Yep. Cool. I'm going with one that's. A little bit more well-known. Sure, I sure. think everyone's heard of this one. <laughs> Going with GE, General Electric. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the ticker on that? <laughs> uh, so this is, again, it's a pretty small position mm-hmm. for Berkshire. They have increased it substantially yeah. uh, from quarter over quarter, but still very small. And looking at GE over the past 10 years, mm-hmm. it's, it's been a turd <laughs> compared to the market. This, st- this stock hasn't gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the main reason is when the financial crisis came their big exposure to the banking industry really set them up for a, for a poor road in the next couple of years. They're trying to, to right-size that. We've sure. talked about the coming spinoff of the North American Consumer Finance Division mm-hmm. of GE Capital, if we can get that all in one <laughs> sentence. Uh, so that will be spun off, which in theory could receive a higher multiple. They're still going to be big shareholders of the company. Maybe they'll gradually sell that sure, off sure. as time goes on. But I want to stress that they're not spinning off all of GE Capital here. They're mm-hmm. not getting rid of the whole business. The yeah. consumer finance is a big part of it. I think it's around 30% of GE Capital. But the remaining part of GE Capital can still be a good business for them. They can still be a specialized mm-hmm. lender when it comes to big industrial loans. That's something they can actually compete in rather than sure. consumer finance. doesn't make much sense for GE to go head-to-head with a Discover. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't necessarily have the competitive advantage there. So I, I wanted to stress that they're not completely getting rid of it. So if we look at, we have a graph here of uh, of GE's revenue breakout, and you can see how diversified the company is. Uh, GE Capital around thirty percent, mm-hmm. and then all the other ones: energy, aviation, healthcare. You're getting an extremely diversified business here. Sure. So one that's trying to right size GE Capital, and then has the exposure to all of these businesses uh, that they're trying to increase margins by having the sales of not just the manufacturing equipment, but then also the service agreements that come along with it to get the recurring revenue in that. So it's been a turd. Mm -hmm. hasn't been a great (laughs) stock over the last 10 years. I think you're getting a reasonable valuation. I don't think it's dirt cheap today. But you're getting a 3-plus percent dividend and exposure to all of these growth areas uh, as they try to right-size the business. So GE. Yeah. So the one thing I'd say, I'd ask you, with a lot of Berkshire's businesses, they're fairly simple things. It's Mm -hmm. credit card uh, payments, railroads, chocolates, Fairly straightforward things. GE's, you know, got all sorts of little things in right. there. I mean, do you think that's sort of a 
Berkshire's sort of holding out for more simplicity in the company, or do you think it's something where they were able to distill all the different segments out and break them into almost separate companies that just manufactures, you know, mm-hmm. uh, parts or just does finance, things like that? I mean, it just seems a little bit sort of surprising for a, a Berkshire company to be invested in sort of this big, far-reaching, right. all sorts of stuff. If you look at it from the top, it does look very complex, mm-hmm. and you're like, geez, w- w- is there anything this company does not do? Yeah, yeah. But when you, br- you I think you do have to break it out mm-hmm. into, I- into individual businesses there, look at the margins for the aviation business, the margins for the healthcare business, and then you can kind of do a, a sum of parts evaluation sure, for sure. GE rather than saying the whole thing, this is everything yeah, they yeah. do, and this is what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, so I think you need to break it apart, and I think when you do that, it's much more easy to to understand the business okay. there. And do you know, uh, I'm just putting you on the spot here, do you know if Buffett said anything about this spinoff? It has any comments on it? I or? don't know if he said anything specific okay. about the, the North American consumer finance spinoff. Just curious. I'll look into it. All right. I'll investigate. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the, the Twitter sphere. Finishing off, our first tweet of the day is about Square. We've talked about Square mm-hmm. on the show before. This is from Digits at WSJ, Digits. Square's loss is growing, cash shrinking. That's not optimal. You never want to oh, see losses no, growing. that is not a healthy sign. Here. So this is being reported by WSJ, mm-hmm. uh, not confirmed here, but reportedly Square was in talks with Google earlier this year mm-hmm. about buying them. Uh, Google says that's not true. Square says that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so interesting here, I, I don't know if it's if we should take this as truth that Square is definitely going to get bought out here by yeah. someone. They did increase their credit line. I think it was from Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. earlier uh, a couple months ago. People saw that move as, oh, they're probably prepping to, to have an IPO. We see that sure. a lot. Companies that are about to go public, they can get a line of credit from one of the investment banks, helps them with their operations as they prepare for the IPO there. So I would still guess that they're leaning more towards the IPO. But the, the article points out that Square's business, it's not that surprising that it's not making sure. a ton of money here. And we were talking before, it's its a great idea mm-hmm. uh, of putting it onto an iPad and an iPhone and being able to accept credit cards whenever. They charge around 2.75% from the merchant's transaction. That varies a little bit. But most of that revenue, they have to pass back to, to Visa and MasterCard mm-hmm. and the Bank of America's of the world, the JP Morgan's, all those other intermediaries. They are kind of just the ones collecting the money and then giving it out to everyone else. So yeah. their margins are pretty, pretty small. Sure. And it's just something where, you know, like, you said, like we said, looking at the product, seeing the product in use, it's really neat. It's, mm-hmm. it's cool how you can basically set up a sort of cash register anywhere. In two minutes. Exactly. Um, but then you see things like where their big partnership with Starbucks resulted in a 20 or more than $20 million loss for the company. Right. That's concerning right there. So it's something where... This looks to be a target for, you know, a Google or a Facebook or somebody to pick up and buy, um, just solely on the fact that it is an interesting technology, uh, maybe in a different environment or a different, a more streamlined focus on what it could do without having to burn all its cash. Yeah. You know, being in a Google where it could spend a little bit more, that might be helpful. It's also something too where uh, I think Jack Dorsey is the CEO, the co-founder of Twitter. Is it something where maybe he's he still has that name? to work off of. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't feel like he needs to fully sell out yet because he's still got that legitimacy and that ability to say, we're going to keep going on our own and keep building this up. Um, I don't know. We'll see. It's something where, yeah, they look to be exploring different uh, avenues for growth. 
all the avenues I saw seem like they're fairly mm-hmm. uh, con- con- concentrated yeah. uh, markets. So it's it's going to be difficult to figure out where they can go with what they have. Um, if I had to say, I, I'd probably say in maybe a year or two, probably is going to be bought out by some other company. But that's just my Yeah, and we've said guess. before that looking at just the swipe business mm-hmm. of Square, it's not that appealing to me because yeah. you have PayPal's, they have a very similar mm-hmm. reader in there. You have Amazon thinking about getting into the payments business. Yeah. I don't know if you want to get into a pricing war with either of those two yeah, companies. You're not going to survive. I and, mean, and, and from a merchant's perspective, you're going to go with the lowest cost option possible. And as a consumer, I don't really care how my card gets swiped with exactly. a PayPal card reader or a Square card yeah. reader. So for them to be successful, they're going to need to branch out into the new areas, have very in-depth analytics they can give to merchants that are valuable, mm-hmm. that people, they, maybe they can start a subscription model based on their analytics there. So sure. that's what they're going to need to do, in my opinion, to be successful. But if this company was to, to IPO today, given the buzz around it, the valuation numbers have been thrown out, Jack Dorsey involved, yeah. I, I can't imagine that I would be interested in the company as it sure. today. It sounds like it would be something that would people would jump on because, like you said, it does have sounds the cool. name. It, it does have the name. You can see it in use. But again, like you were talking about, there's really no barrier entry for any of these big guys to just create a little thing like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's really the product, how hard would it be for a Visa or MasterCard just to create those little their own, uh, their own little uh, you know plug-in thing for an iPad? So, right. so yeah, it's not something where there's enough barrier to entry that it can really exploit that for a long term. Right. All right. Second tweet is coming from Nick Timoros. He says, "Home purchase lending at Wells Fargo, the nation's largest originator, down 30 percent." in Q1, both quarter over quarter and year over year. So the year over year, not that surprising Mm -hmm. because we've seen interest rates jump up pretty substantially year over year. But quarter over quarter, down 30%. Is this kind of a Wells Fargo only thing or is this a a broader trend that we're just not seeing the, the purchase market really pick up. Yeah, so I think it's it's a broader trend. Um, but obviously with a Wells Fargo who is predominantly a mortgage lender, you know, a mortgage lender, mm-hmm. it's you can see it much more significantly than say at Chase. Right. You know, at Chase there is a decrease there too, but if you look at the raw numbers, it's it's astronomical difference. So, I think that is yes, it is a industry-wide trend. Um, in terms of what's causing this, it's very tough. I mean, we're we're talking about a uh, sort of a macro trend. Yeah. There are so many movements that could be, uh, you know, influencing this. Is it the weather? You know, sort of the excuse that every company's been it using this year. It was cold in the first quarter. It was. It was definitely cold. Um, it could also be something where maybe just it's a shifting of resources now, where if you look at the, uh, I believe it's a Mortgage News Daily uh, refinance index, that has just plummeted over right. the last year. The purchase index, it's down a little bit, but it's sort of at, you know, 2009, 2010 uh, 2011 levels. Mm-hmm. So it's not really that far off, uh, at least been. recent history. Right. So I think it, maybe it's something where we saw mortgage rates rise. Uh, that resulted in a huge decrease in refinancing activity. Companies like Wells, Chase, other mortgage lenders, maybe were trying to squeeze that last little bit of refinancing out. And maybe now it's it's time where they're, they're shifting the more towards the purchase uh, area. Yeah, but. I think it's probably a combination of things. And it's very hard to look at yeah. something like the housing market and say, yeah. oh, this is the one reason for everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably a combination of home prices just aren't as cheap as they were last yeah. year. We see Case-Shiller continue to move up double digits year over year. So last year, still significantly cheaper mm-hmm. than, than they were now. Rates are higher. Weather was not great in Q1. So there's a lot of factors here. 
you got to look at the trend here. We got to look at the next three quarters yeah. and see, okay, now what's really going on? And again, as an, a foolish investor in Wells Fargo, it's something where yes, they have lost. You know, there's revenues are really down from the purchase space, but you're thinking long term. I mean, this is still a solid business to be in. We know that there is, you know, just cyclicality with the mortgage market. That's not a surprise. So it is a strange time with, you know, QE just sort of influencing everything. Yeah. Um, so it is a very strange time, and it's hard to pinpoint anything on one reason or one reason alone. Um, and it's hard to predict in the future. So you just got to focus on those solid businesses that are doing the right sort of lending, the, the Wells Fargo's, the U.S. banks, you know, those ones that are disciplined, that have shown they've been disciplined. And just, you know, hold them for the long term. Yeah, I, I think you got to be encouraged by Wells Fargo because, mm-hmm. yes, they're down now, refinance, really dragging them down. But they made so much money doing yeah, refinance yeah. in 2012. So it's you have to look at it. Well, they they were ready for the cyclicality in 2012. Mm-hmm. Chances are they're going to be ready for whatever comes next, sure. whether that means scaling things back or ramping things up sure. if it comes to that. And, and they're probably not going to keep up the record quarters of, of earnings but that's not necessarily a bad thing. That might be something where when they finally don't set that new record, people are going to you know, panic or say Wells is done, sell off, and that might be another opportunity you know, to get in or increase your position too. Right. All right, finishing off with the last tweet of the day. This is amazing. This is from Mashable. It says, Apple Maps did what Google Maps never could. It found the Loch Ness Monster. And we have a picture of this satellite image... All right, see if you can see All right. this. For you, those of you listening, go out and Google Apple Map satellite image Loch Ness Monster. Do you think that's the Loch Ness Monster? I thought the Loch Ness Monster was like, like looked like a, like a dinosaur. It was like long and thin, yeah. So you see, do you see like the, the fins on the side? I guess so, yeah. So that's apparently 100 feet long. Ooh. It looks like the wake of a boat. But there's no boat. Oh boy! So I just I just watched Pacific Rim over this this past <laughs> weekend, which is all about giant sea monsters. So that's a that's a little scary to me right now. Are you a believer <laughs> in the Loch Ness monster? I don't think I am. I want to be so bad. There are a lot of there are a lot of cool little mysterious animal like you know sea creatures out there or you know stuff like that. But Loch Ness monster, yeah, not that exciting. One day, hopefully, yeah. I'll meet him. We'll there you go. <laughs> that'll be the, that, that's the shareholder meeting I want to go to. There you the go. Loch Ness Monster Show. There you go. <laughs> that's what I want. All right, that is our show for today. You can find us on Twitter at TMF Financials. You can also shoot us an email, WTMI at fool.com. We will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.